Amen. So chapter 27, we're going to see as Jothan was 25 years old and when he became king. And, and we know that Jothan, is, um, his father Uzziah, was a good king that we ended uh, with last week. And Uzziah, you recall, that he took over the kingdom when Judah was going through a very rough time. Part of the wall of Jerusalem had been broken down by a war that they had with Israel that uh, Jothan's grandfather, Amaziah, went to war against Israel. And he was captured. He was defeated. Part of the wall of Jerusalem was torn down. The temple was plundered. And some of the people were taken off into captivity. So here is Uzziah that we saw last week that reigned for 52 years. He was only 16 years old when he began to reign, and he was uh, one that came on the scene, had great challenges that were before him, but he was one that also was very capable, very resourceful, and, and was a good king. He did what was good in the sight of the Lord, but he didn't really have a heart that was loyal towards the Lord. And that's one of the things that we have seen with some of the kings that's recorded, that they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. They were doing what was right, but they didn't really have a loyal heart towards the Lord. And with Uzziah, we saw that he was one that he began to fortify the cities. He began to defeat some of the enemies around him. He was one that was a worker of the soil. That is, uh, he came up with some um, agricultural techniques and and methods that blessed the nation, and also he was a builder. He began to build towers in the forests and in the deserts, and uh, he was also one that was an inventor of military weaponry, and he built a large and strong army for Judah. So Uzziah, very capable, he brought economic and military prosperity to the nation, but again, even though he did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord, he didn't have a heart that was totally loyal towards the Lord because after all those years, he reigned for 52 years, and towards the end of his reign, he was lifted up. And what he did was he went into the temple, that is the temple building itself. He went into the holy place where the altar of incense was, and he began to burn incense to the Lord. Why he did that, we don't know. But we do know that because of pride was the reason he would go in there. And we know from the law, from the Old Testament uh, law and study that we have done, that only the priests are allowed to go into the temple and only the direct descendants, um, the priests being the direct descendants of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. So the kings were not to go into uh, the temple. So the priest came in and said, Uzziah, you can't go in there. You can't do this. You're not a priest. You're not from the tribe of Levi. You're not a direct descendant of Aaron. And Uzziah said, bug off. And what happened, immediately he was hit with leprosy, and he would end up dying of that disease. And one of the things that we have seen going through Second Chronicles that at least has really stood out in my mind that that I think is important for us to all remember, and, and um, I think it's important to be reminded of this at this time in our study, is that some of these kings, such as Asa, Maaziah, and Uzziah, that they did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but then they became prideful. They were lifted up, and again, their hearts weren't totally loyal towards the Lord. We saw in chapter 16 of Second Chronicles, Asa, he had many years where he was uh, one that followed after the Lord. He was 
one that uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And, and the Lord delivered him from a million-man army of the Ethiopians. You remember that story in chapter 15? And, and so there was rest in the land for 35 years. But then in the 36th year, we see that uh, a threat came to Judah uh, by Israel. So he came up with his own plan. He paid off the king of, a, of Syria with the, some of the gold and silver from the temple. And we see that um, he uh, came up with his own plan, and it worked. But the prophet came to Asa and said, Asa, why didn't you seek the Lord? Why didn't you go to him? And the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. Asa, your heart hasn't been loyal towards the Lord. And why did you come up with your own plan and pay off a pagan king rather than seek the Lord? And he got angry at that prophet, persecuted him, and Asa became disease in his feet, and he ended up dying of that disease. So that's the story of Asa. We saw that Amaziah, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord initially, but again, his heart wasn't really loyal towards the Lord because Amaziah, as we saw him not long ago, just a few chapters ago um, in, in chapter 25, what he did was uh, he went to war against the Edomites. He began to worship the gods of the Edomites, the, the false gods. And then he went to war against Israel. And he was told not to. The king of Israel, uh, as he was lifted up, the scripture says he was full of pride. He thought he was stronger militarily than he really was. And the king of Israel said, don't come to war against us. Stay at home, enjoy your victory against the Edomites, but don't meddle to your own hurt. And we saw that he did that. He meddled to his own hurt, and he was defeated. He was disgraced. He was captured. He uh, had a part, again, of the wall of uh, Jerusalem that was broken down, and some of the people were uh, taken away captive. So uh, that's what happened with Amaziah. And then, of course, Uzziah, as he was lifted up, and, and he uh, was struck with leprosy. Sin, um, one, pride is a very terrible sin, that is. And we need to always realize that. And here's something that can happen if we're not careful as Christians. You see, what can happen is we walk with the Lord for a certain amount of time. And we can be ones that the Lord is blessing and he's working through us. And um, we see uh, uh, the Lord prospering us, whatever it might be. But then all of a sudden we try to do things in our own energy. Hey, I got this figured out. I'll do this. I'll make my own plans. Um, I know what I'm doing, and we can become prideful in that way. And if we are, what can happen is, is that we begin to be defeated, like Asa was, as a disease in his feet. We become defeated in our walk with the Lord. If we begin to become prideful and we try to do things out of our own energy and strength and we think we're more stronger than we really are spiritually, we begin to meddle to our own hurt, just as Amaziah. Or what happens is pretty soon our spiritual vitality and the life that we have spiritually begins to decay if we become prideful, just as Uzziah. So we need to always be careful to present our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, search me and try me. If there's any pride, if, if there's any arrogance, because it's true what we have seen, what God's word declares, that pride goes, uh, you know, destruction goes uh, with pride and a haughty spirit. There is a fall, Proverbs chapter 16. And we've seen that with these kings here 
um, that started out well, but then they became prideful, and we see that they began to fall. There was destruction that would come to them. Well, chapter 27, we see Jothan here, the son of, uh, of Uzziah, again, as we read in verse 1, 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Although he did not enter the temple of the Lord, but still the people acted corruptly. So we see here that he was a good king. He's the 11th king, matter of fact, of Judah. Now Judah had 20 kings, and some of them were good kings, and some of them were very bad kings, as we're going to see in chapter 28, that Ahaz was a very bad king. But notice a couple things here, that number one, he didn't enter the temple because of his father, Uzziah, speaking of that. And when you read this, most scholars and commentators suggest that um, he didn't go into the actual temple, which he wasn't supposed to. He, he was wise. He learned that lesson from his father. You don't go into the temple uh, unless you're a priest. So it's, it's mentioning that. And, and, and very much that is probably what it, it is mentioning and making reference to. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, he would say that these examples are given to us uh, for us to learn. Uh, these things written down so we can learn you know, what not to do. There's a lot here from the individuals that are in the Old Testament. Uh, as we go through the Old Testament, we can learn uh, what is good and right, what they did that blessed the Lord and was right before the Lord. But also, I love the Bible because the Bible is so honest. And we can also learn what not to do, what will hurt our, our closeness and our devotion and walking with the Lord. And so that's what we see here. And Jothan said, hey, dad went into the temple. I'm going to stay away from the temple. I, I learned from that. But also there are a few commentators and scholars that suggest that what is being said here is that he did not go to the temple to worship. Now, sometimes when the word temple is used here in the Old Testament, as well as in the Gospels, Jesus taught at the temple. He's not in the temple itself building. He never went into the temple, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. Again, uh, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Only the priests from the tribe of Levi were allowed to go into the temple to do the services that are prescribed to them. So Jesus, as you go to the book of Hebrews, it tells us that he comes from uh, you know, a superior priesthood, and he ministers in a superior heavenly tabernacle. But Jesus never went into the temple building itself. But when you read that he's at the temple, it's talking about the temple proper. That is, they had the temple and then the outer courtyards and the courts of the Gentiles and, and all these buildings, side buildings, and the same here. You remember that when Solomon built the first temple here, that it was a, a large area and courtyards and all of this. So it is believed that perhaps what is saying that he didn't go to the temple to worship, and it could be a reference to that. But I think that we can make application for ourselves here tonight, and it's simply this, that parents, and we need to be careful that, that we don't relate to our children or to our grandchildren. Oh, the Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. You know, we don't need to be in church. I don't like organized religion. You know, the church is out of it. The pastor's out of it. I don't like that because what can happen is that our kids pick up on that or whoever it might be that we're ministering to. If we become critical in that way, oh, Christians, they're just 
you know, I don't want to be around them. They're lame, they're a bunch of hypocrites, whatever it might be. And then you're preventing them from wanting to go to the house of the Lord to worship. So we need to be careful in that area. And that's what perhaps has happened here is it is Jothan, he did what was right, but he, he's like, uh-huh, I'm not going to go there to worship because of what happened to dad. And also what we see here, but still the people acted corruptly in verse 2 as well. So that tells me that uh, corruption spiritually was taking place in Uzziah's reign. He was a great king to bring material and, and economic and uh, agricultural and military blessing, but I believe that he didn't really bring blessing and strength spiritually to the nation. And so the nation is beginning to act corruptly, and we're going to see how corrupt it gets after the reign of Jothan. In verse 3, he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord and built it extensively on the wall of Ophel. And moreover, he built the cities and the mountains of Judah, and in the fort- forests he built fortresses and towers. So he's a lot like his father in fortifying the cities. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord that would be between the palace and the temple. The palace where he lived in the temple where he was to go and worship. I believe that there is a close connection between your home and the house of the Lord, this place here. At least I hope that there is. And what my prayer and hope is that this house of the Lord is a blessing for you and your family. That there is a close connection. That this is a very special place for you. I know it is for me and my family. And we love being here. And we love being a part of this church family. I don't know what our lives would be like. I know that it certainly wouldn't be as blessed and, and benefited and as healthy if it wasn't for this church body. And the blessing that you guys are to us and being a part of what God is doing here. There is certainly a close connection between our home and this place. And I don't just say that because I'm the pastor of the church. But I know that many of you, that you feel the same way. And I hope and pray that you would know that that connection is very, very important. And of course, Hebrews tells us that we should not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, especially as you see the day approaching. And it's one of the things that I hear once in a while from Christians, well, it's not important to be in church, and, and we don't need to be plugged in, and we can be Christians and do whatever it is that we, you know, we want to do in that. We can just kind of stay at home or be up in the mountains. The church isn't going to save you. But you are being disobedient to the Lord when you forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys are here. And you guys want to be here on a Wednesday night going through the Old Testament. But encourage and minister to those who perhaps uh, kind of get out of fellowship. They're Christians, but they're missing out on a tremendous blessing in their lives because there's not that connection between their home, their family, and the house of the Lord, and there should be. There should be a strong connection that is there. And here in verse 5 we read, He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. And the people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. He prepared his way before the Lord. That is, that he was uh, one that followed the Lord did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And as you and I do the same thing, that we will prosper as well, in the best sense of the word. 
will prosper in, in the things of the kingdom. And those things that are very important will prosper spiritually. But we follow the Lord and we follow Him and we stay close to Him. Continue to just uh, desire to be one that, Lord, I want to know Your ways and I want to delight in Your ways. I want to walk in Your ways because Your ways are good. In verse 7, And the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways indeed are they written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So Jotham rested with his fathers. And they buried him in the city of David, and Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Now one of the things that is telling um, that's going on historically at this time, it's about 750 B.C. And at this time, you know, we've read a lot about how Syria, you know, was strong and always doing war against Israel and against Judah at times. But now there's a new kingdom that's beginning to rise to power. You probably know who that is, and that's the Assyrians. The Assyrians are beginning at this time to, to flex their muscle. And as we go into chapter 28, and we read the parallel accounts in Second Kings chapters 15 and 16, what we know is happening is, is Reason, who is the king of Syria, and, and Pekah, who's the uh, king of Israel, they're kind of forming this alliance. And they're wanting to come against Judah, and they're going to come against Ahaz, and that's what we're going to read. They're wanting to, to do away with Ahaz and set up their own king so they can have this three-nation alliance that maybe we can stop the Assyrians because the Assyrians are way up north, and who are they going to come against first? Syria and then Israel, and that's what happened historically. But let's begin to look at that and talk about that as we open up chapter 28. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. And he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. In verse 4, And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and hills and under every green tree. So Ahaz, he rejects the godly example of David and his father uh, Jotham. And Ahaz, when he comes on this scene, he ends up, his, he reigns, um, for 16 years in Jerusalem. And he was probably the worst king of Judah with the exception of Manasseh. Manasseh, we're going to see in a few chapters, Manasseh is going to reign for 55 years. And Manasseh is going to really plunge the nation deep into a lot of the same things that Ahaz did. He follows after the house of Israel, plummeting the nation deep into Baal worship. And, and then they're sacrificing their own children uh, on the arms of Moloch. And Moloch was a, a god uh, of prosperity. And they were thinking, if we did this, then it will bring prosperity to our children, you know, or to our family as we sacrifice our children, literally on their arms there in the valley of Himen or Gehenna, that valley. If you go there today, they made a park out of it. It's very beautiful. There's no sign of any kind of that, but that's where it was all done, just on the, the south side of, of where the temple was. Listen, I know that you love your children. But I hope and pray that none of us would sacrifice the priority of nourishing and raising our children in the ways of God for success or prosperity of the world. I know that we have jobs and we have businesses and we have things that, 
that we need to do, and it's a blessing when the Lord does you know, make us successful or we prosper in those things. But here's the thing. I pray that for it would never be a priority over nurturing and raising our children in the ways of the Lord. That is always a priority with us. Desiring for them to grow up and praying for them and teaching them the word of God. And that's a responsibility that's been given to us parents to do that to teach them the word of God, to instruct them in the ways of the Lord. And we can go through the scriptures from Deuteronomy all the way through the New Testament. We see that very clearly, that we are to to nurture them and, and care for them and encourage them in the things of God. And I hope and pray for my kids, and I do pray for them, that more than anything, that they would love the Lord and serve the Lord all the days of their lives and walk in the wisdom of the Lord. So I know that that's, once, that's a priority and you desire for that as well. But, but here they're sacrificing their children on the arms of Moloch. And it's a sad situation, all kinds of idol worship that's taken place. And so God's going to bring judgment. And therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. And then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, and because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Maasaiah, the king's son, and Azrikam, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was the second to the king, and Verse 8 we read, And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters. And they also took away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. And God's judgment upon them, Israel and, and Syria team up to come against Judah. As we read, it was very brutal. It was very ugly. Judah lost 120,000 in, in battle in one day. 200,000 are taken captive. They take away much spoil. And that's the result of sin and carnality. It just brings death. And it brings defeat and captivity, all those things that we've seen very clearly going through Second Chronicles. They're sacrificing their children in the arms of Moloch. There are all kinds of false worship that's going on and perversity that's taking place and immorality. You can see why, and I know that you agree with me, that we're very concerned for our nation in the direction that it's going, spiritually and morally, how we continue to put to death unborn babies. Millions upon millions, uh, over 50 million. And we continue to, to, to have that great sin in our nation. We are declining morally and all kinds of perversity, the pornography, the, uh, the, the, just the wickedness that is in our nation, the darkness that is there. And as we see the result of sin and, and, and carnality and that continues and ten- continues, it brings death to a nation. And that's why we need to be praying. The only real hope for our nation is a true revival and a turning to Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, a calling out to the Lord and a humbling and 
and coming to him before it's too late. And here we see that Judah, God's people are going through tremendous judgment because of sin, because of of wickedness, because of immorality, because of these things that are taking place. We know that as this has taken place, that here is Israel, here is Assyria coming against Judah. And I want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 7. You can turn there if you want to, and, or I'll just, you can listen and I'll read it to you. But at this time, some insight to give to you what's going on is as Reason and Pekah are coming against Judah. And again, as we know from Isaiah chapter 7, it came to pass, we read, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jothan, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, the uh, son of Romelia, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. So even though many are killed, many are taken captive, even though there's spoils that are taken away, it's a terrible time for Judah, a heavy cost. They're trying to come against Jerusalem, but they can't. They can't prevail against it. And you see that in verse 6 of chapter 7 of Isaiah, that what these two kings are saying is, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let's make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. So they're wanting to do away with Ahaz so they can set up their own king and then they can make this alliance to come against Assyria that's flexing its muscles, that's becoming a threat up north. And and they know that war is going to come with Assyria probably soon. So Isaiah the prophet is told to come and and give this word to Ahaz. And the word in verse 7 is, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. (coughs) Excuse me, for the head of Samaria is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is reason. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramelia's son. And if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. We have talked about that it's important for you and for me to be established in God's word. It's important that we be established in the promises of God. That's where we're going to be strong. That's where our faith is going to grow. That's where uh, we're going to be, able to, to, to be able to be strong and have good courage in the Lord, to be established in His promises. And if you don't believe God's Word and, and, and you're not standing on His promises, you're going to find yourself weak. And we'll find ourselves always being afraid and being tossed to and fro. <clears throat> so here is Ahaz that's being told, this battle isn't going to happen. They're not going to come against you, Ahaz. They're not going to prevail against you. And if you don't believe what the Lord is saying to you, you will not be established. In verse 10, moreover, the Lord spoke again. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 7. To Ahaz saying, ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Ahaz asked for a sign. Ask for any sign. In the heavens, you know, uh, you know, either in the depth or the height above, just ask for a sign. And what Ahaz said is, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. And he's not saying that to sound spiritual. We know that he's a very wicked king. He's rebelled against God, and he's going to continue to rebel against God. And he's saying, I'm not interested in going to the Lord. And so Isaiah says, here now, house of David, is it a small thing for you to worry, man, but will you worry, my God, also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. That behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's a terrible time where the people have been plundered and held captive. And all of a sudden this promise that Ahaz, you wicked king, God's going to give a sign. And the sign is the virgin is going to conceive and bear a son in his name is going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And you see, it be about 2,700 years later that the people of Judah, of Judea, were once again afraid. Here was Rome that was ruling over them over that time. And, and here is the emperor of Rome gives this decree that all the world shall be taxed for new taxes. So everybody has to go home to the home of their ancestry to register for these new taxes. So here is a young couple... Joseph with his spouse, wife Mary, that have to travel from Nazareth down to Bethlehem to register for taxes because it is Joseph that's from the house and lineage of David. And David, of course, was from Bethlehem. And as they were there, it was a time when the people lived in fear, not only of Rome, but there was a very evil, very harsh king called Herod the Great that was ruling over Judea. He was very paranoid. Whenever that he was paranoid, they knew that bad things were going to happen, that blood was going to be spilled. Herod the Great was a very cruel and vicious man that killed a lot of people. He's the one that made the decree to put all the male children two years and under to death in Bethlehem because he was afraid that the king of Israel was born there, just as the Magi told him. But you remember as the wonderful story of Christmas is we are going to be entering into the Christmas season. And maybe it isn't so merry for you. And maybe it is in a season of glad tidings and, and joy and peace and goodwill in your life. And maybe there's something in your life to where you're afraid. Or maybe there's difficulty or trials or, or maybe just you're overwhelmed. It seems like the circumstances are really surrounding you that on that night that Jesus was born, that the message of the angel is the message given to you as well, the message of the angel to those shepherds that you'll go to Bethlehem and you'll find a child in swaddling clothes, wrapped you know, in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to know that God is with you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. The good news is that Jesus came and he died on a cross for us that we can truly be free, free from sin. You know, the people here were afraid of Syria. They were afraid of Israel. They were afraid of Assyria. Uh, they were afraid of Rome in Jesus' day. But God is with us because Jesus knew that we needed to be freed, uh, not just uh, from the bondage of Rome or Assyria or the circumstances, but the greatest need is we needed to be free from the bondage of sin. And he went to a cross and he died for you and for me that we might have real hope and a living hope because he rose from the grave. And God is with us, Emmanuel. And that's the good news of Christmas. That's why we can be thankful next week at Thanksgiving because we have Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. And he sees you and he knows you and he hears you. You keep a heart loyal to the Lord. And he promises in his word that he will show himself strong on your behalf. 
So here's what was happening at this time. And Ahaz, he doesn't call out to the Lord. He's encouraged to. Isaiah said, God will give you a sign. But Ahaz didn't call in his distress. So much different than David. You recall that David in Psalm 18, verse 6, he writes, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out unto my God. And may we do the same thing in our distress, knowing that you can call out to the Lord. So who does Ahaz call upon? Well, we're going to see here as we continue reading is verse 9, but a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded, and he went out before the army that came to Samaria. As we're going to see, first of all, word's going to come to Israel. Israel that attacked Judah, took all those people captive and killed 120 soldiers and, and really was used of God to bring judgment against Judah. A word's going to come to them first, and so this prophet comes out to them and said, Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand, but you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves, but you are not also guilty before the Lord your God. Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken captive from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, these guys listed here in verse 12, and they stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, You shall not bring the captives here, for we already have offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt, for our guilt is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. Verse 14, So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the assembly. And then the men who were designated by name rose up and took the captives. And from the spoil they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them and gave them sandals and gave them food and drink and anointed them and let them and the feeble ones ride on donkeys. And, and so they brought them to their brethren at Jericho to the city of palm trees. And then they returned to Samaria. So we see here as the prophet came to Israel, um, and spoke to him, the Lord used you to bring judgment and discipline to Judah, but you've gone too far. You need to let the captives go, or the fierce wrath of the Lord is going to be upon you because you guys aren't right with the Lord. So to their credit, some of the leaders stand up and they say, we need to let these guys go, and they clothe them and they fed the captives. Now we see who Ahaz is going to turn to because he won't turn to the Lord, so who does he turn to? Well, verse 16, at the same time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. The Philistines also invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth, Shemes, and uh, Ajalon, and uh, Gedaroth, and Sakhah, and with his villages, and Timnah with his villages, and Gimzo with his villages, and they dwelt there. In verse 19, For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. And also Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord and from the house of the king and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. He has put his trust not in the Lord, but into the king of Assyria. It's bad times in Judah. The Edomites and Philistines attack Judah once again, and he pays off Tiglath-Pileser, but he doesn't really help. 
He distressed him. And you see, that's what the enemy will do. You know, what is interesting, again, as you look at some of the parallel passages of Second Kings, you know what happens is, is that when he first pays off the king of Assyria, hey, these guys from Syria and Israel are on my back. They want to do away with me. So I'm going to pay you off. He ripped off some of the gold off the doorposts of the temple. Send it to the king of Assyria to, to do in Syria. And that's what he does. So Assyria goes and attacks Syria and, and does the king of, of Syria in. And the king of Assyria is sitting in Damascus. You know, he has taken the city. And what happens is, as we see in 2 Kings chapter 16, is that Ahaz goes up to see the king of Assyria. Now, for a king to go and travel and see another king was very unusual. But it wasn't a trip where it was a state visit or an official visit. It was a visit as an act of submission to the king of Assyria. I'm submitted to you. And Ahaz, while he's up there in Damascus, and he's thanking the king of Assyria, thank you for attacking Syria. What he sees is this pagan you know, altar that is there and, and this pagan idol that the king of Assyria is worshiping. And Ahaz says, I like that. I like that, that pagan idol, that, that pagan uh, altar that you have there. So he calls for the high priest in Jerusalem to come and make a copy of it so he can put it in the temple in Jerusalem. And that's what he does. I think that the church needs to be real careful of taking the things of the world and bringing it into the church. Sometimes we can think that's kind of cool, that's hip, that'll draw the people and all of this. Uh, You guys, we get enough of the world out there, don't we? We don't need to be bringing it all in here. I want to focus on the things of the Lord and the things of the kingdom. So he brings it there to the temple there in Jerusalem, and, and he's putting his trust in the king of Assyria. But what we see here is the scripture says that in the end, Assyria did not help him. One of the great deceptions of the enemy or the world is, the world's going to help you, going to be the answer for you, but you're trusting the world. And you're going to find yourself being distressed. You know, just the enemy says, pay me off. Tickleff Pelizer says, sure, I'll take your money. But I'm going to still do what I want to do. And I'm not going to help you. What are you going to do about it? And that's what the enemy does. He, he says, you know what, just pay me off. Make it, you know, give me something. I'll help you out. Make a peace treaty with me, whatever it might be. Don't go there. Don't make a peace treaty with the world. You put your trust in the Lord and you look to Him and you call out to Him in your distress and believe the word of the Lord and then you'll be established. But Ahaz didn't do that. So, verse 22, In the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. That is, that King Ahaz. Kind of interesting, the wording there. That is, that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the king of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Listen, we sacrifice and we worship and give our devotion and our attention to anything other than the Lord. If he isn't the priority of our lives, it will be the ruin of us. It will be the ruin of us. 
And that's what Ahaz. Hey, I'll worship the God of, of, of Syria, and they help them, and I'll sacrifice to them. They may help me. In verse 24, And Ahaz gathered articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city in Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of the acts and all his ways, and from first to last, indeed, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem. But they did not bring him to the tombs of the kings of Israel. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. So he continued in sin. He continued in rebellion. He became increasingly unfaithful to God. And we see what happened to the nation, the captivity, the defeat, the burning of children. He stubbornly refuses to turn to the only one that can help him, and that is the Lord, the only one that can truly help you and me. And so, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And, oh, Lord, just to be able to to see the difference between those who followed after you and prepared their ways before you and, and they were healthy and they prospered. And Lord, um, we see those who rebelled against you and turned to the idols of the world or to the enemy or whatever it might be to make alliances and peace treaties and it doesn't work. So Father, I pray that tonight that we would be established in you, Lord. Established in your word. Hearts that are loyal towards you. Father, I pray that we would be ones, that we would trust you in everything. And that we know that Emmanuel, God, is with us. And you're in this place here tonight. You're in this place by your Holy Spirit and you look into our hearts. And you see if there's anything there that Lord is causing us to not have that closeness with you. That that deep, deep fellowship with you that you desire to have with us. Because perhaps there's idols, perhaps there's Lord, things there that keep us from receiving all that you have for us. The closeness. Lord, just the joy, the peace. Running around trying to find it in other things or in another person. Lord, not that we can't have close relationships with people and love our families and our children and our spouse, certainly. But Lord, you... You are Lord of all. And Lord, you are the one that is true and righteous and holy. And you proved it by sending your son to die on Calvary's cross for all of us that we might have true hope. Forgiveness of sin as we have surrendered our hearts to you and asked for forgiveness repented away from the world, away from those things that can't save us or help us, truly. Lord, may we just abide with you, stay close to you, be established in you, and know that you're with us. 
We trust you with our salvation. We can trust you with our lives. So Lord, I pray for those who are perhaps going through the storms, the difficulties, being overwhelmed with the things that surround them, whether it's people or circumstances, loss, grief, the attacks of the enemy, the discouragement of the world, that we would know that you're our refuge. And Lord, that you're our strength. And Lord, you're the one that saves and blesses. Lord, may we just always turn to you each and every day, surrender to you in every area of our lives. Lord, keep us, all of us, from ever becoming prideful in the smallest of ways, Lord, that we don't become defeated or we don't become, Lord, a decaying that happens like with Uzziah. We're thinking we're more stronger spiritually than we really are and we end up meddling to our own hurt. Lord, completely humbled before you, dependent on you. Bless your people, Lord, as we go our way tonight. Bless our week. I thank you for what you're doing here in this church. May there be a close connection between our homes and here to house the Lord, a place where we're blessed and refreshed and, and nourished and cherished and loved on. I pray that you continue to bless Operation Christmas Child this week and all those who are serving, all those who put boxes together, so many people. We're so thankful for that. And may those boxes reach their destination to a child to bless them and give them the gospel. May lives be changed this Christmas. And Lord, I pray that um, the concerts will go well with the kids tomorrow and on Friday. And on Sunday as we finish the book of Acts, chapter 28, that going through this study has really encouraged us in our walk with you that to remember that there is an Acts chapter 29. You're continuing to work in our lives. And Lord, as we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, that there truly be goodwill and peace and joy and gladness of heart because Emmanuel, God, is with us. So bless everyone here as we go our way, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.